Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Common Lectionary, which is the set of readings being read uh, throughout much of the church throughout the world on this day. The story is a familiar one to many of us, perhaps not to all. It is often called the story of the prodigal son, but you could as easily call it the story of the son out in the field, or you could call it the parable of the waiting father, or you could call it the parable of the reconciling family. Name it as you will, this is how it sounds. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them parables. This is one. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So the father divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was out in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And the slave replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, listen. 
For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat, so I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to the elder son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. Poor God. (laughs) Caught between a rock and a hard place. Direct connections aren't always easy to find in parables, but in this one, the connections are pretty clear. The waiting parent who runs to meet his profligate child and embraces him before he can even get his apology and his plan out, who throws him a party and invites the older brother to join Who in this one character, this one person, embodies both mother and father? This parent is meant to represent God for us, to teach us something about God's love. That God, poor God, caught between a rock and a hard place, and we're to learn from it. The rock, I think, is the older brother. He's the firstborn. He's the responsible one, easy to rear, respectful, dutiful, hardworking, successful, adds to the family's honor and reputation and wealth. The child who gets talked about when the parents meet other parents at the club. The child who goes to college, gets a job, makes her way, saves her money, remembers birthdays, sends flowers, makes you smile, reflects well on you. And then there's the hard place. In this case, the younger one, the tougher one. Tradition has called this one the prodigal, which means, as you heard earlier, wasteful, lavish, flippant, reckless, over-the-top, self-centered, the one who always wins until he doesn't. This is the All my friends got a car when they turned 16, so why can't I, child? This is the thanks for paying for my cooking school in France, but I think I really want to be an accountant, child. 
This is the, I really think that I don't need health insurance this year, so I'm going to take a trip to Mexico, child. This is the, put it all on Bitcoin, child. This is the, I don't care what you believe or what you know. I'll turn your values on their head and I will make up my own child. This is the, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me when you die now. Child, who a few days later gathers all he has and travels to a distant country and there squanders it all in dissolute living child. This is, let's be honest, also the child who sometimes doesn't make it. What's a mother to do between these two? What's a creator who loves as a parent to do rocks and hard places as we all are. And the story unfolds as you heard. It was a remarkable story when it was first told. It was even radical, scandalous, with traditional roles flipped and flopped, with a father humiliating himself in public to accept a child and protect him from public ridicule looking weak, even though he was strong. The steady older brother calling his father's love for his stupid younger brother reckless, irresponsible, unjust, even itself a bit prodigal, foolish love. Now, the older one actually has a kind of a point, don't you think? I mean, the father asked nothing of this prodigal child. No self-reflection, no coming to terms, no plan for counseling or 12-step program or creating healthy conditions for being reincorporated into the family, no discussion about what he's been up to or who he's been with. That has to wait. No examination of his motives or clarification of his intentions. That also will wait. Will he do the work? Will he handle his money better? Will he make amends with his brother? Will he go to church? Will he finally grow up? The father doesn't know. And neither do we and the older brother. The father goes out to him, too, and receives his anger without returning it in kind. He loves him, too. He reassures him and invites him to the party, too. He invites him to love, too. Will the older brother's heart soften? Will he get out of himself and hear? Will he find a taste for mercy beyond his thirst for justice? 
Will he understand and accept his father's unearned love? Will he, in the end, join the party? We don't know. The story doesn't say. We only know that something is happening. That there is a great reunion going on to which everyone in town is invited and that both of these cherished children are welcomed in and that the parent who we say is teaching us about God seems more interested in celebration, reconciliation, acceptance, and reunion than he is apparently interested in rules or reason or care or teaching a lesson, at least for today, the unpacking and the rebuilding can start later. Now, this is a kind of parenting that I have some concerns about, to be honest. And this is a way of being that I get kind of nervous about to be even more honest. But there it sits as our model given to us by Jesus. It's wonders to behold. I have read this story many times in my ministry and you may have too. I've preached on it a few times over the years and I've heard others preach on it and teach about it. There are beautiful books written about it, all worth reading. There is extraordinary works of art inspired by it, worth pondering. I was reminded just yesterday in conversation with my mother of a sculpture of the prodigal in Chattanooga, Tennessee, if any of you have seen it. I think it's in bronze by Leonard Baskin. It's of a father holding a nearly collapsing son in his arms and kissing his forehead with bands of cloth wrapping around the both of them as if gauze protecting a wound so it may heal. Thinking of this, I walked by a small marble figure on a shelf in my house, which is a small piece of art commissioned some years ago by my wife, Lynn, of two barely recognizable figures emerging from the stone, from a rock and a hard place, into life. Or perhaps you have seen Rembrandt's famous painting of the father leaning over and touching the kneeling son who is falling into him with two loving hands, one hand painted as if a woman's hand and the other hand painted as a man's hand. So much of our attention in this story goes to that embrace between the father and the prodigal as, as well it should. There is no embrace more telling of God than that one. 
Yet the story, as you know, holds much more than that embrace. The story holds all that leads to it. And it holds the gaze of all the people who were watching this unfold. And it holds the energy of the responsible child, too, of his passion and his hurt and his encounter with the Father and his own journey of faith. And it holds that party. It holds that party. The singing and the feasting and the sudden extravagance that holds no judgment but joy, no rules but reconciliation, no expectations but enjoyment, no work but welcome. And in the times that we are living through today, I find myself thinking about that party in ways I don't think I ever have before when reading this story. I wonder if you might too. The early church was known and in fact came into disrepute in Roman society because it had slaves and, and rich owners worshiping together and declared freedom for all, spiritual freedom well before material freedom was gained. It fell into disrepute because rich and poor people worshipped together. Men and women led together. I remember early in my ministry in my first church getting to know a family very well in the congregation, and then a new family came in and watching the encounter one morning and seeing the two men meet each other in the narthex and look at each other, stare at each other in a minute, and one looked at the other and said, well, I haven't seen you since the day you fired me. And the other responding, yeah, sorry about that. Looks like you're doing fine. And they became fast friends in a way they never would have without the church. There have been extraordinary and privileged moments of my ministry when I have seen enemies find themselves in pews and begin the work of reconciliation. When I have seen people together doing projects who would never be together otherwise, encountering, discovering things about themselves in the face and words of the other, encountering difference in a way that they never would as we retreat to our corners in the wider world, there is a way in which we are retreating to our dens, we are retreating to our fields, we are finding ways in which we just stare at each other and forget that in the church, in God's vision, in God's realm, there is a party going on, there is a celebration going on, there is a context of meeting and reconciliation in which the, the details are talked about later because there's too much to have joy in right now, and shouldn't the church be that kind of place? Shouldn't there be a little feeling of relief when we come through the doors because this is the space where we celebrate before we judge, where we encounter before we assess, where we learn before we teach? 
we do all those things. We call people higher. We call people to reason and think together. But first, we celebrate. There is a party going on that is hosted by our loving parent, who is Christ the Lord, and in that we rejoice. Amen.